This is Update One, the podcast of the National Press Club in Washington, D.C. Update One provides a forum for listeners to learn about national and international stories, focusing on journalism and communication issues, news and politics. Now, the latest edition of Update One. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the National Press Club's Update One podcast. I'm Gemma Puglisi, a member of the club's broadcast team. And on this edition, we will talk about the film that just came out over the Thanksgiving weekend, The House of Gucci, starring Lady Gaga, Adam Driver, Al Pacino, Jeremy Irons, and Jared Leto. The movie was made thanks to our guest today, Sarah Gay Forden, whose book, The House of Gucci, A True Story of Murder, Madness, Glamour, and Greed inspired the film directed by Ridley Scott. Sarah lived in Milan, Italy for 22 years, during which time she covered business news, including the growth of the Italian fashion industry for publications, including the Wall Street Journal, the International Herald Tribune, Women's Wear Daily, W Magazine, and Bloomberg News. Her book, as I mentioned, grew out of her reporting on the explosion of labels, including Gucci, Armani, Versace, Prada, and Ferragamo, from family ateliers into mega brands. She wove together the family saga, spanning three generations with the evolution of the Gucci brand, including the company's origins and its iconic products, as well as decades of family conflicts, including the secret 18-month buyout of Aldo Gucci and his sons on behalf of Maurizio Gucci's anonymous partner, Bahrain-based InvestCorp. The book also chronicles the pitch takeover battle for Gucci between French billionaires Bernard Arnault and Francois Pinault in the late 1990s and the five-month trial of Patrizia for hiring a hitman to kill her former husband. Forden is now based in Washington, D.C., where she leads a team of reporters for Bloomberg News that covers corporate influence in the nation's capital and the escalating scrutiny facing giant technology companies such as Amazon, Apple, Facebook, and Google. Welcome, Sarah, and wow. What Thank you for having me. What a, what a, a great book and how I'm sure you must have felt uh, so, so much pride in seeing it on the screen. So how exciting, too, though, to have spent so many years covering such iconic brands in Milan. And so you knew the entire Gucci family, correct? I mean, because you were covering them as business news. So tell us a little bit about about them. Like, what were they like that you remember? Well, thank you for having me, Gemma, and um, for sort of paying attention to this story, which now has gotten sort of a new new life. Um, I was covering the Italian fashion industry from Milan in the late 80s and through the 90s and early 2000s. And by the time I started covering Gucci, actually, Maurizio Gucci was the only member of the family um, left in the business. So his whole buyout had already happened. Um, And it was really because of Maurizio that I was drawn to, to write the story because I felt that Obviously, you know, he was a very tragic figure, but the work that he did to reposition Gucci at the top tier of the luxury goods market and then to clean up the brand, which had been kind of overexposed in the 80s by you know, multiple licenses 
the cheap like GG logo fabric bags. I thought what he did really paved the way for then Tom Ford and Domenico De Soli who came on and really kicked it up into the fashion spectrum and really took it, you know, to a whole other level. I interviewed Maurizio for the book several times. You know, I went to his first press conference in Milan when he was relaunching the brand. And then subsequently, I interviewed his cousins, Roberto and Giorgio in particular, along with members of the family company. So there were workers in Florence, uh, store managers in Rome and in Milan. So there were people who were very close to the family, but who weren't family, who shared their memories of what, what it was like. So it must have been really devastating for you to learn um, when he um, was killed. Where were you? Do you remember that? I was working for Women's Wear Daily. Um, I had started writing the book yet. I was still covering the, the industry as a, as a business reporter. And it was shocking because this is not something that happened in Milan. People didn't get shot in cold blood in broad daylight. So it was it was shocking and it was unexpected. And then this sort of um, shroud of mystery came over the whole murder because nobody could figure out who had done it. Nobody thought that Patrizia was involved in it at all. Because what, were they divorced at the time? They were divorced. And he was also out of the company for two years. So he Mm -hmm. was a private citizen. He had $135 million in the bank from his sale of his 50% in the company. And he was exploring other investment opportunities. In a way, for the first time in his life, he was a free man and he was starting over. We actually met for transparency reasons. We actually met at a event. I'm a member of the National Organization of Italian American Women. And a few years ago, you were our guest speaker. There was a lovely dinner. And um, I just have to share this with our listeners because I thought it was great. You were telling us about this book and I thought, oh my gosh, it sounds like a great movie. What are you doing in your life? And you just said it just like, oh yeah, uh, yes. Um, I, it, it's going to be made into a movie. And I'm like, wonderful. Like, do you know who's directing it? And you just said, you know, as a matter of fact, Ridley Scott. And I'm like, Wait, Ridley Scott of Gladiator fame director, Ridley Scott? And you're like, yes. And I thought, oh, my gosh, this is going to be an extraordinary film. Did Ridley just call you up one day and said, I want to make a movie about your book? How did that all come about? Well, you know, these movie projects, as I've learned, take a long time to Mm -hmm. um, gestate. And it's really about sort of pairing, getting the right talent. And Ridley himself said um, when they were rolling out... um, the film, you know, it's really all about getting the right screenplay and that for the director is the roadmap. This had been a pet project of his wife, uh, Janina, for many mm-hmm. years. They've talked about that in um, interviews. And there were other screenplay writers attached to the project, but they reached out to me in 2018 and asked if I would work with the screenplay writer who who authored this this particular screenplay and his name is Roberto Bentivegna and he's a young Italian screenplay writer he grew up for part of his childhood in Milan his mother worked in the fashion industry and he just really got the he captured it yes that's fabulous and then were you invited to come to see some of the videotaping no the extraordinary thing was this whole film was filmed during a pandemic lockdown the set was completely locked down and you know three months of shooting in italy under the tightest restrictions so yeah it's really amazing um, how this has all come together so of course i must ask you um, and if you can share with us what were your thoughts of the film If, if you can tell us a little bit about how you felt after it was over and to see your work this whole story really came about from your book. So 
how did you feel when you came out of the theater and you saw that great credit, by the way? I, I was actually applauding the credit when I saw it. Oh, thank you. You know, it's really ex an extraordinary experience. And, you know, you will understand this as a writer and as a journalist. You often toil in solitude and, you know, in the wee hours. And it's all about getting the right words on the page. And, and so it's very kind of can be very lonely work unless, you know, except for when you're interviewing sources. And to have this experience of seeing, you know, my work all of a sudden, you know, taken up by such a talented director and such a star-studded cast, and you know, it's given it a whole new life. It's really kind of like being shot out of a cannon in a way. I mean, as I wrote it, I could see it being an incredible story for a film, and I could see the scenes in my mind, but I never in a million years dreamed that it would become a project of this level. And how did you think overall about the film? Were you pleased? It was very exciting. Yeah, I think the thrust of the of the film is as absolutely true to the arc of the story. It focuses on a specific section. My book goes deeply into the origins of the Gucci brand and the company and the family, and that it takes you way after to the new Gucci under you know non-family management, and then into like the sort of the modern world of the conglomerates of the Francois Henri Pinot and the and the right battle with Arnaud. So so the movie is a, is a particular slice of the story. One of my favorite lines in the movie was Jeremy Irons, who played Rodolfo, who was saying to Paolo, it's his nephew, right, which was played brilliantly by uh, Jared Laytow, and says, you never mix browns with pastels. And I was the one laughing hysterically in the theater. I think I was the only one laughing hysterically because we all know the beauty of the Gucci line as the brown, right? And I didn't even know this till I read a little bit more about it, that Paolo was really responsible for the logos, you know, with the two Gs kind of being immersed together and taking the taking the browns and, and you know, adding the pastels and the florals. And it's interesting as well as the night I saw the movie, I had been at the mall just like an hour before, and there was a huge line in front of the Gucci store where people were waiting to go in to buy the product. And so when I left the theater, I was really sad because I thought, you know, the ancestors, right? And I know that Maurizio had two daughters, correct? And they um, are uh, apparently estranged from La Patrizia, which I can understand, but they're not involved in the business. And it's just a sad thing because you're, you're seeing this amazing brand and how simple it started, but, which, by the way, it's celebrating its 100th anniversary. That's yeah. exactly right. It's all kind of come together at the same time. But right. 100 years ago this year, Gucci Gucci opened the first Gucci store in Via della Vigna in Florence. How incredible. And then to see, you know, that's my other question, because you knew mostly all of them, right? But more closely, you said uh, Maurizio. And, you know, to think back of how it started and where they are today, what do you think Maurizio would have thought if he had seen how the brand had grown today? What do you think his thoughts would have been? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I've actually talked to people who, who have commented on that. And, you know, Maurizio's vision for Gucci, he had a very classic view of what Gucci right. should be. And he wanted it to be elegant. And it was almost like more of an old world luxury brand on the par with Hermes, which, by the way, has also evolved. So yes, all of the yes. brands have had to kind of contend with moving into the more fashion sector to stay relevant. 
But he wanted Gucci to be, he would say, round and brown and soft to a woman's touch. So the bamboo handle bag, the hobo bag, the quality leather, that was his vision. And then, of course, when Tom Ford came in, he wanted it to be square and black and sexy. So right, he pushed right. a completely different vision of Gucci. And now today we have Alessandro Michele, who is Italian. He's mm -hmm. from Rome. He actually was hired by Tom Ford and Domenico De Sole. He's been there for over 20 years. And he's kind of knit the two worlds together. In an yeah, the old and the new, way. right? The yes. So if you, yeah. you can go back and you can see this online, they, Gucci did an incredible blockbuster fashion show on November 2nd uh, in Los Angeles. Interesting choice, right? With the movie. Right, right. Out. And they closed down Hollywood Boulevard. And if you look at the styles, there's a lot of new stuff, but there's a lot of the classic Gigi logo. The models are wearing aviator frame glasses that look just like the glasses that Maurizio used to wear. And it's almost as though Gucci is finally kind of, you know, knitting together its past and its present. So I do want to talk about what we can about the movie. I want our listeners to go and see it, but it was an incredible performance by all, mostly all of them Academy Award winners, uh, with the exception of Adam Driver, who obviously is not, has been nominated for an Oscar before, but just great performances. And really, um, I thought just being an Italian-American, I felt like they really captured a lot of kind of like the culture of Italy during that time. And Lady Gaga, of course, plays Patricia. And at the end of the film just tells you what happens, like the sentences that she gets and Lita, the fortune teller and the two men who actually committed the murder. But it doesn't tell you what really, where is Patricia today? She apparently was released early. Is that right? From She got time off for good behavior. She was released in 2016 after serving mm -hmm. 18 years of her sentence. She lives in Milan. She's a free woman. She's given some interviews, um, mostly to the Italian press. And sometimes, you know, she can be seen walking around town. Sometimes the paparazzi get her and, you know, pepper her with questions. Were people surprised that she committed the murder? I think people were surprised and horrified. Yeah. Did you know her very well? I mean, you. So I had interviewed. I had interviewed her in 1993. She was very upset with Maurizio, who at the time was struggling to hold on to his 50 percent, and which he right. ultimately lost. And she was um, launching a smear campaign against him with the media. And she called Women's Wear Daily, among other other um, organizations. And I sat with her for over an hour, during which she spewed vitriol about Maurizio. And she was known to have gone around Milan asking if there was somebody who would kill her husband. So she oh was gosh. very vocal about right, her right. anger and um, you know discontent with him. But nobody really took her seriously. At one point, her lawyer wrote her a letter and said, "You have to stop." saying this is not acceptable. But uh, even though people knew that, they still didn't suspect her of being involved in the murder. And the prosecutor, the investigating magistrate, actually, at the time, was uh, this expert in financial crime. This was right after the whole money Pulite, the political kickback scandal. And sure. so he was really thinking in that direction. He was looking, trying to uncover leads in Maurizio's business dealings. He thought it might have been a settling of accounts of some sort or a debt, you know, might have been right, right. deeply in debt, maybe a debt gone bad, but was hitting, of course, 
dead ends everywhere he looked. Investigators were tapping the phone of Patricia and she and Pina were on the phone discussing how much money still needed to be paid to the killers, but they were talking in code. They were talking about meters of fabric to refurnish the house or to do new curtains. And so even though the investigators were listening, they didn't pick up on what was being talked about. It's unbelievable. But, you know, thank you uh, for really writing such a beautiful book and a story uh, that was made into really an exceptional movie. Now, the National Press Club um, is actually comprised of many members, uh, journalists, right, and many write books and many would like to write books. And I'm sure many of them would love to kind of follow the footsteps of seeing that book uh, into maybe some kind of a, a motion picture. I know you shared a little bit about it when we first started, but what are some of the things that or advice you can give journalists who are really interested in seeing their great books or, or their great projects um, develop into you know a, a, other opportunities? Sure. I mean, I don't know that there's a formula, but I do sense that there's with all of the streaming and the podcasts and the TV series, you know, I sense that there's there's more opportunities, tremendous demand for good content and obviously tremendous interest in a good story. And so I think that the most important thing is to find a strong narrative and a powerful narrative and stories that will will engage people, will touch people. And I think it's important to also feel something about what you're writing about because it is, it does become kind of a labor of love and it's hard, it's really hard. And so you have to be really passionate about what you're writing about and, and feel that you know you can kind of share that passion with your readers and then you know eventually with some kind of other treatment. I mean, think about like the Modern Love series that was, you know, in the New York Times and then it became just a wonderful- It's a great um, example. So great example. And these, you know, it doesn't have to be like long, never ending tales. Those are vignettes, which even for today might even be better suited to an audience because they're they're nice little bites that, that people can get through without having to dedicate, you know, you know, short attention spans to. Did you go to some of the premieres? I don't know if we talked briefly about this, but were you able to go to some of the premieres? Yes, so I did. That with that us. Extraordinary, as I said again, you know, before, like being a writer and being used to sort of toiling away in front of the computer. And then um, I went to the premieres in London and New York and in Los Angeles. And I got to meet members of the cast and it was, you know, I was on the right like? Talking. What was that like for you? Oh my gosh, that well, was amazing. It was it was very exciting. I guess I took my daughter as my date to the London premiere because she was three years old when I started writing the book. Uh, and I dedicated the book to her. It says for Julia. And she was born in Milan, so she's my Milanese. And I wanted her to know like why her mom was so distracted those years when I was working on the book. And so it was just an incredible moment to be able to share that moment, you know, on the red carpet with her after all that work and all these years. And now she's 25 and she just she really loved it. And did the um, actors, you know, comment on anything about the book and just meeting you? I know you were excited to meet them, but they, I'm sure, were very excited to meet you, too, because you're kind of the reason this all came together. 
Yeah, I guess I kind of gave him a roadmap. And I, when I went back and read the book, I thought, you know, I really did a deep dive into each of these characters right. and tried to flesh out the personalities and, and also the nuances, you know. I mean, each personality in the story had, had very strong characteristics. And so I really, you know, realized in rereading it how, how much I really sort of tried to give a brief, you know, you could use and you And you did such a great job because I, I had a dear friend who's a member of the Academy and uh, he called me to wish me a happy Thanksgiving. And the first words out of his mouth is you got to go see the Gucci movie. Got to go see the Gucci movie. The performances are amazing. And you really did capture that in the book. I mean, all of them gave such extraordinary performances. I mean, it was a great ensemble cast. It really was. I mean, really great character development. So as we uh, say bye, what's the big takeaway for you? Because again, you spent so many years putting this together and you knew the family members. Really, you do, right? When you, when you, we know this as journalists, when you cover a beat, you know these people and it's really, they become part of your lives. And so to see all of this happening and then the tragedy from, you know, as you left the theater, what was like the big takeaway for you? Wow. Well, I mean, there were so many mixed emotions, but I think the thing that for me was the most challenging in writing the book was to try to even out because everybody had their own point of view and everybody was very, uh, you know, sort of specific about it and maybe in counterpoint to the other, you know, family members or the you know, person working for Gucci. And so one of the hardest things about writing the book was to kind of try to even out all of those perspectives and find some, you know, middle ground that felt close to the right. truth. Um, and that's, that's what I tried to do. And, and writing the book. And I think that's kind of conveyed in, in the movie. Well, thank you so much. Congratulations, Sarah, thank you. for being with us today. Um, if you haven't seen the movie, if you haven't read the book, please put it on your list. Uh, they're both uh, amazing uh, novel and it's amazing performances. This is Gemma Puglisi. My thanks to my colleagues here at the National Press Club, including Mike Hempen and Mark Hamrick. On behalf of all of us at the National Press Club, thank you for joining us today. Update One is a production of the National Press Club's Broadcast Podcast Committee. You can comment on this podcast or any episode of Update One by sending an email to Update One Podcast. That's update the number one podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to Update One. Update One.